Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. But God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will not surely die, the serpent said to the woman. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree from which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. 2 Corinthians, chapter 11, verses 1 through 21. I hope you will put up with a little of my foolishness, but you are already doing that. I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy. I promised you to one husband to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. But I am afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one that you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted. You put up with it easily enough, but I do not think I am the least inferior to those super-apostles. I may not be a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge. You have made this perfectly, we have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone, for the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way and will continue to do so. As surely as the truth of Christ is in me, nobody in the region of Achaia will stop this boasting of mine. Why? Because because I do not love you? God knows I do. 
and I will keep on doing what I'm, I am doing in order to cut the ground from under those who want an opportunity to be considered equal with us in the things they boast about. For such men are false po- apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Is It is not surprising, then, if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. I repeat, let no one take me for a fool. But if you do, then receive me just as you would a fool, so that I may do a little boasting. In this self-confident boasting, I am not talking as the Lord would, but as a fool. Since many are boasting in the way the world does, I will, I too will boast. You gladly put up with fools since you are so wise. In fact, you even put up with anyone who enslaves you, or exploits you, or takes advantage of you, or pushes himself forward, or slaps you in the face. To my shame, I admit that we were too weak for that. What anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare to boast about. This is God's word. Don Carey, thank you for that. Thank you for those readings. And there's boasting and masquerading and all sorts uh, going on there. So let's, let's pray again for God's help as we look at this together. Almighty God, you're a good father. You give us precisely what we need. And so as we come to a passage such as this in 2 Corinthians and maybe think, what's that got to do with me? Would you help us understand it rightly, whether we're a Christian or not, so that we see Jesus clearly and love him for the Savior that he is? Amen. Yesterday my afternoon, yesterday afternoon, my iPad broke. Got one of those annoying messages. It came up on the screen. Um, iOS has crashed and uh, call Apple on this number. Uh, oh, okay. Um, so I did call Apple on that number and uh, got an Indian call center. I thought, oh, I didn't know Apple were in India, not to worry. Um, and uh, then they said, okay, what's, what's your the serial number? Well, that's on the back. That's no problem. I can tell you that. Uh, okay, you're, you're out of warranty. Well, yes, I guess that. I, it's quite old. Um, and uh, so in order to fix this, you need to pay uh, 59.99 over the phone and uh, we'll fix it. And oh, that's odd. Can't I just take it into a store? No, because you're out of warranty. Oh, okay. Um, well, what's your email address? I'll give you my email address. And had to repeat it several times because the line wasn't very good. And I thought, this is very strange, really. And then my wife wandered in to the room and said, what are you doing? I said, oh, this is broken. They, I need to pay over the phone. Don't do that, you fool. <laughs> are you sure it's not a scam? Oh, actually, I did think it was a bit odd. Yes, 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 yes. Quite right. And uh, hung up and thought, uh, well, there we go. There was a timely interruption uh, from my wife. And he was going to think, why, why, of course it was a scam. But I so wanted this thing to be fixed. It was so annoying. I have stuff I needed to do uh, that I just wanted it fixed. And so I got slightly sucked in. It wouldn't have been the end of the world, I guess. But no one likes to be scammed. It's annoying. Of course, some are more significant. Uh, you know, this, uh, the, the government now has uh, released your pension pots if you're over 55. You can cash it all in and, and travel the world and then live impoverished. Um, but um, so, of course, some people are gullible. I read of Anna Riley this week. Just had to wait six more years before she could legally access her pension pot, but wanted some money to give something to the children. 
And so found online a pension liberator to uh, help her fill in the paperwork, filled it all in, was waiting to get this big lump sum, and then received a letter, I'm afraid everything's gone on fees. The whole lot, tens of thousands, gone. And in fact, she's got a bill to HMRC for pulling the thing out early. So she's now got to sell her house. Oh, that's a bad scam. You're warning about that. I don't enjoy the warnings. I don't know if you've seen them on the, on the, on the TV at the moment. Occasionally they'll pop up a government warning. Do take advice before you release your pension. I don't suppose anyone here, I don't suppose anyone watching sees those adverts on telly and go, oh, come here, look, it's the good bit. It's the really good bit. It's the, it's the warning about the pensions advert. This is the best thing there is on telly. I love this bit of telly. It's my favorite moment in the week. No one really thinks that way. But if you get that warning to prevent you losing everything, you'd be grateful. And in one sense, you come to something like 2 Corinthians 11, and in that sort of sense, it's a warning. Not of a financial scam, but a warning that there are true and there are false Christian leaders. And again, I don't suppose anyone comes to one Corinthians, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 11 and says, oh, it's my favorite bit of the Bible. I love the bit when he says that there, there are false apostles. I really get excited about that and people are masquerading and oh, I love it. It's my, I plaster this verse on the wall and I, you know, no one does that, but it is a warning that you need. And if it stops you doing something stupid, if it stops you being scammed, you'll be grateful for it. And that's why it's here. And so it matters if you're a Christian, because you don't want to end up following someone who'll shipwreck your faith. And it matters if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian. Because so often the the stuff that makes the news is so off-putting, isn't it? Paul would want you to know there are false Christian leaders as well as true ones. That's always been the case. So I don't know the details, but there was something, it was a headline in Monday's paper. Evangelical pastor held after his pregnant wife was found murdered. That wasn't a sun headline, you could have guessed that, wouldn't you? Um, but uh, evangelical pastor heard, held because his pregnant wife was found murdered. Now, I won't tell you his name because he's just been arrested, he's in, in custody, but nothing's been proven yet. But if the article is to be believed, there are enormous financial irregularities in how the church was run. He claimed on a weekly basis to raise the dead. And you hear those things and think, well, there's something not probably entirely accurate going on here on a weekly basis. Well, it's better than Jesus ever managed. But you could easily think, oh, yes, there you go. Church leads, evangelical churches is just a load of hogwash. Don't think that, please. Paul would say, look, throughout history there have been true Christian leaders and charlatans, false ones. And you just got to know that that's the case, and you've got to know the difference between the two of them. Now, then we're returning to 2 Corinthians. We started off in the autumn. We've had a break for a couple of months uh, looking at this uh, letter that Paul wrote, essentially a letter where Paul is defending his ministry for the good of the Corinthians because they are drifting off after these bogus apostles, these false teachers. And we'll return for this month to uh, chapters 11, 12, 13, They get known as the fool's speech because Paul is deeply sarcastic here. I don't know if you picked that up as it was read. It's an unusual bit of scripture because he's quite acerbic, uh, quite aggressive in his language. 
But he starts off, chapter 11, verse 1, I hope you'll put up with a little of my foolishness. Uh, verse 16, or, you know, don't take me for a fool, but if I'm going to be a fool, let me fool around with you a little bit. It's the fool speech, because Paul calls himself a fool here because he's going to do something he doesn't want to do. He's going to compare himself to the false Christian leaders, the charlatans. He said, I don't want to do this really, but I'm going to have to do it just so we're clear because it matters. So I've scribbled where we're going on the back of the service sheet, but the big idea is quite a simple one. It's this, don't be led astray by deceitful Christian leaders. That's Paul's point. If you're a Christian, don't be. If you're not, don't be put off. They'll always be there. Don't be led astray by deceitful Christian leaders. His main point comes in these first four verses, I guess. They reveal how Paul feels. Uh, chapter 11, verse 1. I hope you'll put up with a little of my foolishness, but you're already doing that. I'm jealous for you. With a godly jealousy, I promised you to one husband, to Christ, so that I might present you as a pure virgin to him. So Paul says, look, um, would you just bear with me for a moment? I'm going to be quite blunt in my language, but of course you'll bear with me, because you're bearing with the load of codswallop that people are talking over here, verse 1. So of course you'll bear with me. I'm jealous for you, verse 2, because I promised you to Christ. Literally, I betrothed you to Christ. In the culture of the time, marriage is quite often arranged, and there'd be a betrothal ceremony, and the father would betroth his daughter to a man, and saying, of course, I, I, I promise you that she'll be pure on your wedding day. And that's Paul's illustration here. I'm not just interested in counting converts, says Paul. It's not just that I went from city to city and kept a little black book and said, oh, you know, a thousand people became, no, ten people became Christians. I'm a father to you who wants to be with you for the long haul to make sure not just that you become a Christian, but that on the last day you still love Jesus Christ and are trusting him. That's my job, says Paul. But I'm worried, he says, verse 3, I'm afraid. Just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may be somehow led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. I'm worried. You, your marriage may ultimately be in jeopardy. You're, you're drifting away and well, maybe you'll give up on Jesus altogether. How does that happen? Well just like Eve was deceived. So we had Genesis 3 read. How was Eve deceived? Well, the serpent comes along and says, hey Eve, don't follow God. Don't trust God, trust yourself. Don't do what God says. Follow your own instincts. Don't follow that God. Follow yourself. And Paul says in a similar way, these Men, these false teachers have invaded Corinth. They said, don't follow that Jesus that Paul has given you. Just follow ours instead. Because Paul's Jesus, I mean, it's a bit odd, isn't it? He has to die to pay for your sin and, and, and says, follow him and that, that life may be tough. No, you don't need to do that. Don't do that. We saw this back in chapter 4. The, the new arrivals in Corinth say, follow our Jesus. He'll give you prosperity now. Your life will go better now. And Paul says, no, no, that's that's not right. 
But verse 4 is a very serious warning, it seems to me. Verse 4, if someone comes to you and preaches a Jesus other than the Jesus we preached, or if you receive a different spirit from the one you received, or a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it. He's, if you're a Christian, he's, it's very important you recognize this. These false teachers came in and they used the language of Christ and spirit and gospel. It all, they used all the right language. If you're a Christian reading this, here's the question you've got to ask yourself. How do I spot the difference between a teacher, a sermon that gives me the genuine Jesus Christ and one that gives me a false one. How do you answer that question? How do I know the difference between a sermon or a teacher who presents Jesus truly or gives me a distorted picture that leads me away, actually, from a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. How do you know the difference? You've got to know that. It's easy to think, I'll never be fooled. I'll never be taken in. It's easy to think that. Uh, a few years ago, we needed some work doing on a flat we were living in at the time, and uh, flooded and decorated, needing doing, and uh, repairs to the ceiling had fallen through. Uh, and so we you know, did such a thing, you get three quotes, and okay, yes, okay, we'll, 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 you, you're the cheapest, but actually you seem, you know, fine, go for it. Uh, but he was the cheapest, but then of course as the repair work went on, just one or two things occurred. Well, okay, that looks good, but what about that? Oh, Gov. No, no, Gov. The, the, the quote was just for the, for the walls, not for the woodwork, Gov. Oh. Okay, we'll do that as well. And what, what's going on here? Oh, well, Gov. Sorry that we couldn't get a door like that one. We had to get this one. It's just a bit more expensive. And on it went, Gov. And, um, of course, he ended up being the most expensive. And you think, how, oh, how was I diddled? What questions should I have asked? Paul will give you a couple of questions at least to ask in this passage. How do you know a true from a false preacher-teacher? Here's a couple of questions you can ask. Two questions and, and, and then there's a warning. Well, let me put it this way. The, the false teachers, first they're verses 5 and 6. They'll speak brilliantly, but they'll lack content. Uh, and the second sort of diagnostic, they're after money. They don't serve. And then he'll give us some sort of final warning at the end. Okay. So two marks, two things to look out for, Paul would say, so you know the truth from the false. First is this, the false teachers in Corinth, they spoke brilliantly, but they lacked content. Verse 5, I do not think I'm in the least inferior to those super apostles. I may not be a trained speaker, but I do have knowledge. Uh, we've made this perfectly clear to you in every way. How was Eve deceived? He's used that illustration of Adam and Eve. How was Eve deceived? With words. Words which suggested, did God really say that? And then just deny what God said altogether. Corinthians, he's, Paul says to them, you're being deceived by words. People use Christ and gospel as spirits. They use those, those words all the time. But they're just deceiving you. You've just got to be aware of that. And they are brilliant speakers. 
It's slightly hard to get our head around uh, the culture of the day um, because oratory was the big thing. You know, so we, as we wander out and we walk home, drive home, we'll see the billboards and it'll be whatever it is, Russell Crowe in X film, Scarlett Johansson in X film, you know, Tom Cruise in dot, dot, dot. Uh, and that's the billboard posters because it's kind of the entertainment of our, of our modern day and age. But of course, in Corinth, no films, no cinemas, no radio, no TV. So what are the billboard posters of? Orators. That's what you do. On a Saturday, you didn't cram into the stadium to watch whatever it is, Arsenal, Liverpool. You, you crammed into the stadium to watch the orators debating. They're the sort of film stars of the day. And so Paul says, you know, there's some really impressive speakers. They've been trained for public speaking. They didn't go to RADA in London or the Juilliard in New York City, but they went to something called ISOR, perhaps, the Imperial School of Oratory and Rhetoric. That's where you went to in the day to become an impressive speaker. Our Paul says, yeah, yeah, they'd they, be brilliant on their feet. They'll have you weeping with laughter, weeping with sadness. Oh, they'll move you so much. And I can't do that, he says, but I do have content, which is useful to you. You read uh, in the book of Acts when Paul first arrives in Corinth, he stayed there for 18 months, uh, Acts chapter 18. And what did he do? We're told very simply, he taught them the word of God. That's what he did. He taught them the word of God. It wasn't impressive. Didn't have them wailing in the aisles. Didn't have them standing on their feet and cheering. But he did give them the word of God. He taught them. So forgive me if I'm occasionally tedious. Apparently that it's possible. But uh, forgive me if I'm occasionally tedious and after on a Sunday morning or after or evening, um, so occasionally someone will say, oh, that was, you know, that was not normally of me, but someone will say, oh, that was a good sermon, wasn't it? Why? I know this is a slightly tedious question because then you've got to think a bit more carefully, but why? Because if the answer is, well, actually, the, the, the bloke at the front, he had some great gags this morning, didn't he? Was, oh, that, was a, that was a good gag. Wasn't that? Oh, that was a great story, wasn't it? Okay, yeah, that's, they're all useful. Did he give you the word of God? That's what matters. Don't be fooled by great oratory, a few buzzwords, gospel, Jesus Christ, spirit. The question is, is there content? It doesn't count if the Bible is read, but then sort of put to the side and anecdote after anecdote after anecdote. Anyone can do that. Is it the word of God? It's what Paul gave them. He said, I had content. That's one way of distinguishing the truth from the false. Do you get given the word of God as opposed to just great stories, anecdote, rhetoric, gags? Do you get those? It's the word of God you need. So look, they'll speak brilliantly but lack content. That's one way of judging. A second is in verses 7 to 12. These false apostles, these false teachers, they're after money that they don't serve. Now, verse 7 sounds a bit odd to our ears, I think. Verse 7, Paul says, Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you for free? And you then think, so, so hold on a minute, the Corinthians are complaining because Paul preached for them and didn't charge. We want that sort of vicar who's just for free. 
Uh, well, yeah, maybe. Now, again, in the culture of the time, the only orators who performed for free were rubbish ones. So if you go and see someone perform and they charge you nothing, it's because they can't be very good. And the people who charge the most, they must be very, very good. Now, we fall into that as well sometimes. Some people apparently do things such as, oh, look at that coat. That coat costs £5,000. And that coat costs £100. That coat must be X percent, can't do it quickly, uh, much better than uh, this one. It must be a miles better coat because it costs a lot more. Well, maybe it's just because it's got a little label on it and they can think, <laughs> uh, rich people, sometimes silly, can get money out of them. Sometimes it works a bit like that. Or, a, hey, look at this restaurant. This restaurant charges a fortune. It must be brilliant and so much better than this family-run establishment over here that doesn't charge very much. It must be better food. Well, maybe. Maybe not. Maybe it's just reputation and etc. etc. So that's the sort of, they're thinking, well, if Paul doesn't charge, he must be rubbish. Because if you're a good preacher, you charge a fortune for anyone to turn up uh, and hear you preach. Well, no, says Paul. I didn't charge you because I want to offer the gospel for free. Paul is happy to take money, of course. Verses 8 and 9, he'll say, look, I'm quite happy. I was quite happy to take money from the, uh, the Macedonian churches. Uh, verse 9, when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone, but for the brothers who came from Macedonia, supplied what I needed. You can read about that in uh, Philippians chapter 4. But the Corinthians didn't like it that Paul wouldn't take their money. It's very strange. Verse 11. It seems that Paul is being accused of not loving them. So the logic seems to be, well, you'll take money from the churches of Philippi, but you won't take our money. Paul, aren't you, aren't you our man? Aren't you our apostle? Don't we keep you on retainer? So you give us what we want. And Paul says, no, I'm, I'm in no one's pocket. I want to be free to preach the gospel. Did you watch um, Wolf Hall, the, the adaptation of the Hilary Mantel? Terrific stuff. Uh, and um, there's one scene, Henry VIII is talking with Thomas Cromwell, and it just makes it very clear to him, says, Cromwell, remember, all that you have, I gave you. All that you are, I made you. You're mine. In this sense, it was very much true. And Paul says, I'm having none of that. <laughs> you gave me nothing. I owe you nothing. I'm not your man, which means I'm completely free to preach the gospel to you truly. I, I'm not, I don't have to sing for my supper. Therefore, I can tell you the truth as it is, regardless of what you think. That's important. Paul wouldn't let people employ him, so he's not in their pocket. It's important. It's important that... Hopefully people will know that myself, none of the other preaching staff, pastoral staff, no one here would have a clue what anyone does in terms of their financial planning or giving because it distorts relationships. You can't be naive, says Paul. Money distorts people. Money distorts Christian leaders. Don't be naive. It does. It's what little... Sort of litmus test. You could, if you're ever uncertain about any Christian group or sect or cult or whatever it may be, uh, 
You can go and look at their financial statements if they're registered with the Charity Commission. It's quite revealing. If all the money seems to go to one individual, that ain't good. If the leader, the senior pastor, seems to have holiday homes around the world and drives a flash car or motorbike, that ain't good. Probably, there's an indication there. If the BBC launches an investigation and can't find their finances anywhere, that really isn't good. There's probably something a little uh, odd going on there. It's just a little warning that Paul would give. By contrast, Paul says, I, I came to serve. I never asked you for a bean. Not a thing. I'm not in it for the money. Look, they're not the only ones the Bible would give, but there are two. How do you tell the difference between a true and a false Christian preacher, teacher? The false teachers here, they spoke brilliantly, but they lacked content. Didn't give the word of God. And they were after money. I wouldn't serve. We'll get there next week. But in actual fact, they exploited uh, the, the, the men and women of Corinth. And so then Paul finishes with this final warning verses 13 to 15 that we'll look at today. Very striking. Verse 13, such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, masquerading as apostles of Christ. No wonder for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It's no surprise then if his servants masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be what their actions deserve. There is strong language, but there's a certain sense of scooby-doo about this, uh, it seemed to me. There are a lot of people masquerading. There are a lot of people wearing masks going on. You know, every episode of Scooby-Doo always ended up, uh, everyone seems to, somehow, they all end up in one room, every single person in the episode, and say, well, who was the criminal? And they sort of pull off a mask, and it's, <gasps> Mr. Wigginhurst, the school caretaker. Yes, and I would have got away with it if it wasn't for you pesky kids. You know, every episode ends basically essentially the same, isn't it? And there's, that's what's going on here. There are people pretending, says Paul. Oh, you may not like it when I tell you that, but don't be fooled. When false teachers come along and don't want to give you Jesus, they just want to exploit, they don't wear black hats. They don't dress up as Darth Vader and say, join me. Their language is very deceptive, very smooth. I read uh, a while ago, uh, a vicar down in Croydon, Peter Evans, dressed up as Darth Vader for a sermon on false teaching, and his congregation trebled. Extraordinary. So I just... (laughs) So you can tell your friends that... um... Actually, I can't get into it. But But Paul, you see what he's saying? It's not obvious. You do have to ask some questions because you can go along and hear these guys and you think oh yeah that yeah that all sounds good and golly they're impressive wow you know what a performance they gave but it's a masquerade but we don't like the language of verses of this whole passage really but verses 13 to 15 some people are willfully masquerading but i think it raised a question for me when would you ever not publicly, but just privately even, when would you ever say, that's wrong? You know, that woman at the beginning I mentioned, dear um, Anna Riley, who lost all her pension, 
Would you have said, don't go with that scam, it's wrong? Would you, would you have said that to her? Yeah, maybe. Maybe we're more comfortable doing that in sort of financial arenas. But in the sort of churchy arena, when would you ever stand up or, or to someone else say, look, you know what, those guys, I'm not sure. I don't think they'll give you Jesus. They'll use the language, Jesus, gospel, spirit, Christ, but I don't think they'll give you the word of God. Would you ever do that? Culturally, we just think, oh, it's a bit awkward. Oh, I hate it when the bloke at the front uses this sort of stuff. I don't like it. But there's got to be a limit, isn't there? Paul says, I'm a father to you, and therefore as a father, I'm going to warn you. Don't, you know, we say it to our children, stranger danger. Don't go with strangers. And Paul is here saying, be careful. Don't follow anyone. Just because they stand up and say, hey, gospel, Jesus, spirit, and perform really well. Don't do that. You've got to be careful. You've got to be realistic. Sometimes it's willful deception. A friend of mine in Singapore told me the six leaders of City Harvest Church are currently on trial for misusing $25 million for their personal use and deceiving the auditors. That's a lot of money! Uh, okay, the trial is ongoing, but apparently it's been demonstrated. They tried to deceive the auditors. It's <gasps> a lot of money. And it seems that's very willful. Sometimes I think it's probably unwitting. We're not told everything here. Probably there's a spectrum in these false teachers in Corinth. Some of them know exactly what they're doing. Others just, just shaped by their culture. A culture that doesn't want suffering now, glory later, as Jesus taught it. Faith now, reward later. The culture of Corinth wanted everything now. And which Paul would say, look, I, when I came amongst you, I had it read at the beginning, 1 Corinthians, this first letter, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, when I came amongst you, I did not come with eloquence, for I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Christ and him crucified. And that's what you need, says Paul. You need a Messiah who will die for you because you're so wicked you'll never get to heaven on your own. But he's so loving he'll die and take hell for you so you can go to heaven. You need that sort of Messiah. Oh, I don't like that language, say the Corinthians. Well, you need that Messiah. You need a Jesus who didn't come to be served, didn't come to gain money, but to serve. You need one who comes full of grace and truth, no deception in him, you need him. And unless you clear away the nonsense, you'll not see him. You'll not see how very wonderful he is. Can I warn you? Not because there's any pleasure in warning, but there are true teachers and there are false ones. And you'll only see how wonderful Jesus is if you let the true teachers give you the word of God. Don't be deceived. Don't be scammed. You'll be shortchanged. You'll lose out. Stick with this one. Stick with this Jesus, Christ crucified.